Welcome back to The Process Podcast with me, your host, Danielle Copperman. Become comfortable with a little bit of discomfort because actually if you've got decades worth of baggage to work through, there may well be some discomfort. And our culture actually tells you to avoid discomfort at all costs. Stay in the comfort zone, whatever you do, it's safe. (laughs) Suppress, exactly. Suppress, numb, avoid, distract, create cognitive dissonance. You don't even know that you're not even perceiving the real reality anymore. Today, I'm interviewing a good friend of mine, Will Williams. Will is a meditation teacher and he is also the founder of Beeja, which is a London-based company specialising in meditation courses and now also an app too. So on their app you can find all kinds of guided meditations and other content to help reduce anxiety and to help with daily well-being. He's also written a book called The Effortless Mind, Meditation for the Modern World. And I really relate to this as it's not necessarily meditation to completely transform your life. It's meditation to support you throughout your life as it inevitably ebbs and flows. In this episode, we talk about taking responsibility for our own well-being and happiness. We talk about bridging the gap between wanting to live off-grid and in the modern world simultaneously. And we explore the danger of playing it safe in life and how that ultimately can end up ruining your life and preventing you from living at all. We also talk about different types of meditation for anyone who doesn't fully understand it as well as how it can help a number of side effects of our modern lifestyles. We talk about how there is no right or wrong way in meditation and how everyone can experience different things and different improvements in different areas of their lives as a result. We talk about how personal it is and I also relate to this a lot because when I started meditating there were so many different types that I was kind of overwhelmed and I didn't know where to start and I was always unsure of whether I was doing it right or if I could do it properly. And so the topics we cover here kind of explain the premises and the basis of meditation and how it should or could feel and how each person will experience it differently, which I think is kind of part of the magic. We also take a look into the topic of anxiety, talking about what it is, how it shows up for different people and why we experience it, as well as how we can manage it better as part of our day to day lives. I really love this chat with Will and think that there are some really inspiring things to take away from it. It really inspired me after not having meditated consistently for a few months to get back to it. And it also made the importance of building strong daily foundations to reduce anxiety seem even more apparent. Okay, let's get into it. Hi, Will. Thank you so much for joining me and coming on the podcast. It's so nice to see you. It's lovely to see you too, Daniel. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Excellent. I'm currently in Colombia and um, yeah, it's one of the best places I've ever been in my life. So I feel super happy and super chilled. It's a, it's a great place to see out the lockdown situation. Totally. What is the vibe like like over there at the moment? It's brilliant. I mean, it's basically typical South America, but in a way with extra bonus. I think the Colombian people are probably the nicest and most heart-led people I've met in South America, which is saying something because most of the cultures are absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. And although people have got to wear masks when they're outdoors and the nightclubs aren't open, apart from that, there's no change. So... 
it feels like completely normal life but with people who are happy mm. who are really kind very conscientious and just have that latin spirit which is really vibrant but without it being too full on yeah. so it's like the perfect balance yeah really. and not forced at all exactly that's kind of how I hope everyone will come out of lockdown being kind of like <laughs> more free flowing. And <laughs> that would be, I mean, obviously, because of what we do, I guess we both envision a world whereby people are so much more human and so much more heart led. And, mm. you know, we're so much more unified as a people. Uh, and what you've just said, I mean, if that were to materialize, it would be the dream, <laughs> wouldn't it? But I'm a little bit. Skeptical. yeah it's funny I was listening to a podcast recently and it was talking about how humans we're quick to kind of have an awakening and have something really like that's ripping the rug beneath our feet and we'll change completely but as soon as things kind of go back to normal we default so quickly and I think this whole thing has taught people so many things and I think it will have changed some things in society I definitely think it will have changed certain people but probably not everyone i'm just hoping that things won't go completely back to normal because i actually think that this time to slow down and pause has been so needed because we were going at like rocket speed and it i don't think it was sustainable for the planet or for people in general like yeah it totally wasn't sustainable was it um if we can end up somewhere in the middle i think that would be a major result yeah and um i think that it's an interesting phenomenon what you just described whereby we have these realizations, but then we revert to type. I think a lot of the time the realizations come in the intellect, but the emotional strata is still, the emotional realm is still kind of allied to all the things that it's allied to. And mm -hmm. um, so obviously doing all the work that I do, I'm trying to help my community not only deal with the intellect, intellectual side of things but also how can we actually change your emotional reality how can we change your energetic reality to be more in harmony with the world with the universe with the people that you care about because when you change all of those realities then that change becomes reliable and um, solid yeah like a foundation exactly i think this is probably one of the reasons why a lot of these self-help books don't necessarily do that much for people obviously you and I have both written books so we're hoping that they do something for people but um that's also why I work in the realm of um, giving out techniques and stuff like actually change the inner reality as well as the way that we think about things yeah I think and I think that's so important with like wellness having worked in the industry for like almost 10 years I think you have so many different approaches and and it's usually the most mainstream things that gain momentum and I think whatever there's good and bad to to that but I think what you're saying as well is that like it's really about deep foundations and it's your responsibility at the end of the day to do the work and to kind of yeah like feel things out trial and error and explore things rather than just taking something as like surface value and reading something and believing it it's like all about this very personal and individual journey as well which I think is so much more important than just following the crowd and following the trends well I mean obviously we've both been in and around the industry for a similar amount of time and 
you do see the facts, don't you? You could almost say this was the year of mindfulness, this yeah. was the year of breath work, this was the year of sound baths. And um, and you see the whole, everybody goes running down that alleyway. Yeah. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I guess because, as you say, it's such a personal journey and I don't think any one system will deliver everything you need. I think you do need to venture down a few different pathways and almost learn which bits of which systems are going to benefit you most and and, and satisfy the things that you need to satisfy in your life journey. Yeah, definitely. It's so true. It's about sort of cherry picking, isn't it? And just taking the responsibility, but also giving yourself that kind of confidence and empowerment to know that you actually can figure things out you just need a few pointers along the way (laughs) well exactly and they do say of course when the student is ready the master will come and I do Mm. see that happening Uh, I love the point about responsibility though because I feel that a lot of our cultural paradigm is outsourcing responsibility for our lives to other people whether it's the government Mm -hmm. or you know we want everybody else to fix our problems but not actually to take responsibility for ourselves and Obviously, rights are important, but I think rights also need to come hand in hand with responsibilities. And I would also love to see rights given to the environment, the planet, um, so that we actually have a responsibility to the planet as well as to each Mm. other. And I think the more we take ownership of these things, well, the more empowered we are and the more capable we are to actually bring about change. Because for as long as you expect someone else to do the hard work for you you're just going to be stuck in the rut Mm. Um, but it's difficult in this day and age to try and communicate the need for responsibility because sensibilities are quite sensitive at the moment Mm. yeah I think with that as well giving kind of responsibility to other people we've kind of been brought up to to think that we don't have the responsibility or that we don't we're not capable and it's kind of there's a sense of helplessness and like you need a doctor you need a therapist you need this product and this medicine and this like everything and I think that to some extent things are really needed but I think we've we're a sort of an age where we're depending on other people and we're we're kind of feeling helpless and we don't really deem ourselves capable to actually intuitively navigate like modern life (laughs) Uh yeah I mean the intuition side of things I mean we don't even really believe in intuition you know as part of our culture we get told from a very young age to obviously follow rules and we go to school and obviously that whole setup of having to arrive at class at this time and there's a register and then you know you've got to learn all of this stuff by rote and we're just drilled to try and avoid failure Mm. and that creates so much fear and so much self-doubt that when we've got to actually stand on our own two feet when we're adults, we're sort of programmed to play it safe. Mm-hmm. And that's actually so dangerous. It's the most unsafe approach you could possibly take to life. Mm-hmm. And um, so in a way, it's we almost need to f- do a 180 with our cultural paradigm to help broader society realize themselves to age old ten experience know thyself because um, mm. without that if you don't know yourself mm. how are you going to actually make the most of your life i'm not sure how that's even possible 
yeah it's like you're not really living you're you're surviving you know and you're not really actually deeply connected to things or anything and you're not really sure why you're making decisions you're not really sure if you're making them or if you're following shoulds and woulds and kind of societal um pressures or something else so totally and it's also very interesting being in south america because they're so the the culture is so heavily influenced by catholicism which of course does come hand in hand with a lot of guilt and um if there's one i think that's the one thing with this culture which is interesting to observe because they're very free and i do think that they're more intuitive and you know the fact that they're just moving their bodies that you know everybody dances here and they dance properly you know they really wiggle their hip passionately yes it's very very passionate but um but this uh, the word in spanish is culpa you know this this kind of damoclean sword of guilt is hanging over them and you can see that it holds them back you know they they go to follow their flow their their intuition and then they pull back at the last minute and it just it does make me a little bit sad to observe that yeah it's like everyone really isn't it we I think you can be you can be so close or in your own head you can be like I'm gonna do this and yes it will really make sense and then you start thinking what will that person think or what would this what happens if I fail or what happens like you start kind of that overthinking and that doubt and that's actually a really good way to bring us onto the topic of today's podcast so you and I met a few years ago um I think the one of the first times was when we did a workshop together for my brand Cunola we did like a mindful morning meditation Yeah. Down at your place in um, Shoreditch, right? yeah when I had an office in Shoreditch and then after that I trained with you for a weekend as well um which I loved and I think your um journey into to meditation is really interesting because you you were kind of working a normal standard job before weren't you Yeah, well, I was in the music industry, um, mm. and so um, I'm not sure how normal it was, but it was definitely kind of part of the everyday world that we live in. And um, yeah, it was pretty rock and roll. I mean, the day-to-day -day stuff was sitting in front of a computer and being on the phone Mm. with people and dealing with all the nonsense that everybody, all white-collar Yeah. workers at least have to deal with. Uh, I guess with the added bonus of then going out and getting absolutely sozzled every night um, and feeling like you're, you know, living the dream. But Yeah. it wasn't the dream at all. Uh, Yeah. it was actually really vacuous, I'm sad to say. Um, Mm. music was my passion, so that's how I went there. But I was really glad to leave the industry after seven or eight years. And quite frankly, my body was burned out. Mm, it's full on, all go. <laughs> but what was your um, transition? I think it would be interesting to kind of understand why you, how you got into meditation and why. Yeah, basically, I had completely fried myself um, with all of the late nights, the partying, sex, drugs, rock and roll, all of that good stuff. Um, and this emptiness that I felt was really alarming because I was like in my mid to late 20s. And if knowing that I was young and I should be vital and I was doing this job that everybody seemed to be quite envious of when they were doing something very boring, Uh, in their perception and yet I still spent most of my week feeling tired and fatigued and uninspired I wasn't sleeping very well and as my 20s kind of moved towards my 30s I everything just started breaking down for me at a physical health level and I had 
I'd sort of been looking for several years for something to make everything better. So I tried lots and lots of different things, obviously like yoga and reflexology. I went and saw a hypnotherapist on Harley Street. I did um, yeah, reflexology. I did colonic therapy because my mate told me it was going to be good for me. But they were actually just winding me up. Another fad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Another major fad. And which I've since found out is actually not only not that beneficial, it's actually quite harmful for your microbiome. So, mm. um, yeah, there were all of these things that kind of, apart from the colonics, I enjoyed most of it. I <laughs> Just an opportunity to relax for an hour or, you know, switch off from the madness. But I kept not sleeping. I kept feeling drained. I kept being stuck in the rut. So I was out partying actually in Shoreditch, at Shoreditch House, which was obviously just around the corner from where you used to be. Mm-hmm. And um, I met this cool dude and he was a friend of a friend and we partied until four o'clock in the morning. And he started telling me about how this meditation thing had totally changed his life and all of his friends. And then we just carried on partying. And I met <laughs> up with him. I went back there the next day to meet him. And over a, uh, a Bloody Mary, he just picked up the theme again. He said, I know we were talking about that meditation thing last night. He said, I just have a feeling this is this will do the job for you. I thought, okay, this guy's cool. Um, I trust him. I'll give it a go. And I did. And literally within two weeks, my insomnia, my seven years of insomnia just disappeared. Wow. I started finishing my workload two hours earlier every day like instead of finishing at eight o'clock in the evening I'd finish at six and I'd got more things checked off my in fact I was getting to the bottom of my checklist every day which I'd never done before Mm -hmm. and I felt really creatively inspired and the thing I think the thing that really um rammed it home for me was I was I went and I went to my local shop down in New Cross and um, I suddenly started being all friendly and interested in the shopkeeper, which I've never done before. I was like, wow, like, I'm engaged, you know, I'm a Londoner, I don't talk to strangers, but now I'm really having this lovely interaction and he started telling me about his life. And I'm kind of walking away from the shop feeling really good and then some foreigner asked for directions and I was like, oh, it's down here and then there's this little alleyway that you can cut through to save you five minutes. And I found myself actually saying, do you know what, I'll take you there. And I walked 400 metres down the A2 road, whatever that's called, showed this person the alleyway. And I walked away from that and I was like, I've never been this kind in my life. (laughs) And I felt good about it. And I just thought, this shit is great. And um, it just built from there, really. Mm, That's so cool. I love that, how it just kind of changes your energy and you don't necessarily notice straight away but you you find yourself feeling and just acting differently energetically maybe which is exactly that's the thing it's um it was this this internal transformation that was very subtle but manifested itself in these certain key moments which made me realize that I was changing for the positive without having to try you know it wasn't like I would wake up every morning Mm -hmm. and say I'm going to be a kind person. I'm going to do this. And I didn't have to do any affirmations. I just did my little meditation in the morning, did one at the end of my work day. And 
I really did start to feel like a little bit of a superhero. And I'm not joking. It was, I felt invincible. I felt just, I guess I felt super me. Mm. And I had forgotten who me was. Yeah. And I felt like a kid again. I had all of this childlike fascination for the world. And I just, it just felt right. Mm. And I didn't realise how far away I was from feeling right until I found it. And once yeah. I did, there was no way I was ever going to go back. I was like, this meditation is it. And mm. it also helped with hangovers, which was you know, very <laughs> practical. Yeah. Um, but I think after about nine months, the realization came that, okay, this is, this is spectacular. And it's not just me who was having spectacular results. You know, there were, I'd met a few people in various classes who also had spectacular results. And then my girlfriend came along and did it and all of her anxieties disappeared within the first three months. And then she became super organized and her memory became so much better. Mm. And she started turning up for things on time instead of <laughs> being late. And, um, and I could just see that she felt stronger and so very different we we came from very different places and we had very different needs but it had given us both exactly what we needed and all of these other people that we'd met and it was like okay i need to explore this because this is i've tried all those other things mm -hmm. and none of them really did that much but this has been profound so that's when i went I on the that. big journey I love that it's kind of almost like these little shifts that make you like I love what you were saying about being more me and and just in a way I think so many people get caught in the idea of meditation or put off completely by thinking they can't do it right or they don't know how to do it or they don't really understand it and I think there's this main underlying thing where you can't really understand it you can't really explain it and you don't have to and also it can just be such a personal like shift energetically emotionally or whatever it's 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 something about the way you're feeling not like ticking loads of boxes and getting better sleep reducing anxiety and like you know achieving things through meditation I think it's so much about kind of coming back into the alignment of yourself like how you've explained which is super interesting yeah and that's the thing it's I guess you know obviously we try and make it as visible as possible. I feel a deep calling to try and somehow reach all of those people you just described who think it's not really for me, I don't have the time, um, I'm not gonna be able to do it, uh, is it even relevant to me? And it's those people that I wanna reach because that's exactly where I was. You know, I was not your typical hippie at all. Yeah, yeah. And, but you do, people do have these practical needs. So obviously if you look at our website, we will talk about how it improves your stress levels and your mm. anxiety and, and your sleep and all of those and help you with your depression. But, um, and obviously creativity, productivity, mm. relationships, but it's, it's, this is all experiential knowledge. Mm. You know, you have to almost experience it to understand just how much it can give you that sense of belonging, that sense of connection to the wider world to the universe, that sense of connection to your real self. You're finding a sense of purpose and meaning in life, which is beyond the superficialities. Mm. And that stuff, you can't, you and I could, you know, we could write books and books about all of this stuff, but until you actually 
until that becomes your reality, you just won't really get it. Mm. And um, it's so special. Whenever I hear people come back to me and like, oh, I feel like I've found the real me. I feel like I've come home. I hear people say that a lot. And um, and actually, I was just talking to one of my um, celebrity clients, Holly Willoughby, the other day. And uh, she resisted doing it for about eight months because she just thought, I haven't got the time. Mm. You know, I've got three kids. Obviously, she's got lots of TV commitments and mm. all these other things going on, you know, a little bit wide social network. But once she did it, she was like, oh, my God, this is what I've always wanted and never quite found. And um, I think she's a good example because, obviously, if you've got three kids, I can only imagine just how demanding that must be. Mm -hmm. And and you've got your own separate career, which you want to do really well in. Um, but it just, you know, it just reaffirms this idea that no matter who you are, how busy you are, how many commitments you've got, this will give you something which provides a foundation for the rest of your life and will actually help you deal with situations better, make better decisions, like you said, find that intuitive flow. And rather than spending your life distracted by trying, wondering what's missing or feeling mm. the need to distract yourself because there is this deep-seated unease within yourself which you are trying to avoid by just constantly looking at your phone or, um, you know, doing yeah. all of this very mundane stuff. Yeah, definitely. I had someone uh, asking me on Instagram recently as well about anxiety and he was saying that he just started kind of out of nowhere experiencing it. And I'd love to talk about the idea of like anxiety. I know that meditation helps a lot for anxiety and depression. And you, like you said, feeling uneasy and unsettled and overwhelmed. But how would you explain like what exactly is anxiety? Why do we feel it? And for someone like him who has, it's just kind of come on from out of nowhere, how would you kind of explain it? And then how would you kind of suggest things like meditation or other kind of rituals that can help kind of accept it and kind of process it? Sure, I'm, I would be delighted to because I think it's probably the most, along with not sleeping well, it's the most ubiquitous thing in the world and actually anxiety and insomnia do go hand in hand. Mm. It's always interesting to hear these kind of reports. It just suddenly came on. Mm. That's obviously their conscious perception, but actually and all of these things have been building for years and years and years. And it's just, once it goes beyond the tipping point, you start noticing it. But it would have been, you know, if you've got eyes to see it, you would have seen it kind of coming and coming and coming. So you mentioned earlier about the, um, how fast modern life is, okay? Mm -hmm. And everything has been pre-lockdown. Everything was just going absolutely bonkers crazy. And so we got these massively hyper-stimulated nervous systems. We're looking at screens all day, you know, obviously during lockdown, we're on screens even more. The amount of visual information coming into our cortex is so high and our brain is having to process all of it. And there's all of these sounds and there's all of these other things going on. So you've got this little uh, piece of your brain called the amygdala, which fires, that's your fight or flight response. 
it's supposed to help you run away from hungry tigers and avoid poisonous snakes or maybe a Neanderthal that might want to kill you or something like this. And so it changes all of your physical systems, but it also changes your brain. And it does this because most of the things that you need on a day-to-day -day basis are not needed for pure raw survival. And actually what you do need for pure raw survival are certain capabilities. And so we, we, we inhibit all of these functions and we divert the energy from those into these fight or flight functions. So aggression is one of those functions because if you've got to fight to the death, happy days. But one of them is hypervigilance. And hypervigilance is being on super alert because you're in a sort of danger, in your danger zone. And so you're always kind of looking, your brain is constantly whirring, trying to work out what could be around that bush and what this could be and what that could mm. be. But nature evolved that function to be switched on for a very short period of time, maybe 90 minutes, and then dissipate. But as, we've living, as we're living these busier, busier, busier lives, what happens is our nervous system becomes chronically programmed in this fight or flight mode. And so the aggression function is permanently switched on, which means we find ourselves getting irritable, frustrated, getting grumpy, ratty, react, overreacting to things, maybe being passive aggressive because being openly aggressive is not cool, or being really harsh on ourselves, you know, all that negative self-talk. Mm -hmm. So that's the sort of aggression side of things. But then you've got this hypervigilance, which is constantly now gaming all of these scenarios. What if, what if, what if? having a fairly pessimistic view about the likelihood of, you know, a good situation coming about. Almost the, the glass being half empty, there's a shadow around every corner, uh, and feeling like you need to micromanage more and more things to try and keep yourself feeling safe. Mm. But of course, as we continue to live these hardcore lives, that programming just gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And at some point you get to this to that threshold point, which this person got to, when it starts to become kind of obvious that something's changed and that you're now locked in this need for control, this need for safety, in this constant whirring in your brain and think, you know, overload of thinking about all these different things that are going on in your life, inability to focus, inability to prioritize tasks and finding it impossible to make decisions and being stuck in this indecisive mess where you just actually almost feel paralyzed and you don't feel like you can make any particular decision because you can imagine all of these negative scenarios that if I do this, then that could happen. But if I do this, that could happen. So you do nothing. And it's an awful place to be because of course, you're now overloaded with all of these stress chemicals um, it will be affecting your body as well, your digestion, your heart rate, your breathing. Quite often when people are in that mode, their, their breathing becomes really shallow as well. So then they're not oxygenating their body properly. Their heart is beating too fast, which is overload. Obviously, sometimes people get palpitations. Your digestion stops working properly. You probably start noticing that when you're feeling stressed and anxious, maybe you start having irritable bowels and this kind of thing. And longer term, there's lots of chronic things like mm. obviously faster aging and infertility and all that sort of stuff that 
all comes back down to this one package of internal phenomena. So, and we almost then get into a cycle of feeding. We live our lives in quite a flustered way. You know, we're always restless. We're always on the go. We're always feeling like we need to invest energy in mm -hmm. different things to try and make sure that everything is okay. But we can't control all of the variables of life. Mm -hmm. We will exhaust ourselves doing so. We'll burn our adrenals out. And we run the risk of actually, eventually, unfortunately, moving into a depressive phase because we realize that we will never find peace mm -hmm. no matter how hard we try. So it's essential that all those people out there, and I think the number is now in billions, the billions of people out there who are feeling mild, mid-level or acute anxiety find ways to actually get their nervous system back into a state of equilibrium and there are lots of tools out there meditation is a very important part of one's repertoire uh, and particularly the types of meditation that are quite easy going and quite fluid like what we do they tend to be better for people who are anxious because otherwise it becomes just another performance, another yeah. thing to try and be good at. Yeah, exactly. And that, that, I mean, for me, like the idea of treating meditation as this chore in your day that you've got to sit there in an uncomfortable position mm -hmm. and you've got to like try really hard to clear your mind of all thoughts, that's, that's a nightmare. Yeah. And actually you're going to end up giving up because you can't do it because you're asking your biology and your neurology to do things which they're just not equipped to do when you're in that state of activation so i think the first key point would be find gravitate towards tools which are very gentle very nurturing and almost offset that rampant doing mode that you've probably yeah. found yourself locked into um, good nutrition is important for these sorts of things as well getting your biorhythm sorted, getting to bed at a reasonable time and being quite consistent with your daily rhythms because those rhythms have been established for four million years in the human mm. body. And if we start messing with them, you know, looking at our Instagram at three o'clock in the morning, yeah. you are, you're giving your body no opportunity to go into the opposite of fire flight mode, which is rest and repair mode. Because we, it's not that meditation and these therapies and all of these things are magic wands that just magically fix things. What they do is they calm your body down. You know, we give people these mantras. And when you think it in your mind, the resonance of those mantras starts putting your brain into a higher state of coherence, into an alpha state from which you cannot feel fear. And it starts calming down the amygdala so that it's no longer creating these fight or flight dynamics in your brain and then your body. Mm -hmm. And so then everything calms down, the brain becomes more and more coherent with every practice. And then the body just goes, ah, thank you for giving me that opportunity to heal myself. Now I will heal myself. And I think it ultimately comes down to understanding that your body is a genius organism, understanding that there are ways to kind of hack it in a sustainable way and then incorporating those into your life and allowing the process to take effect over the course of months, 
Sometimes it happens in weeks, but I think it's important to manage people's expectations. And mm. I love the fact that this podcast is called The Process mm. because it is that. And I think a lot of people approach things like meditation and other spiritual endeavors very much in an experience-led manner. You know, they want the, the cosmic joyride. You know, they want to yeah. have all of the unicorns of fairies. And actually, it's about making this shit integrated into your life so that you can live it day in day out you can be human every single day of your life 24 7 you are exuding these good vibes you're feeling the good vibes it's not even a pretense like most of what happens in the world it's a genuinely authentic internal experience that finds itself radiating outwards and making other people feel good too uh, but that requires work and that requires going through these mini transitions that form part of this big transition that leads you to where you really want to get to, where your heart and your soul are yearning to be, but are not really being listened to because when you're in fight or flight, your brain just takes over and you end up living your life completely from your head. Mm. I love everything that you just said. It's amazing. It's making me want to go meditate now because I haven't done it for a couple of weeks. <laughs> but um, you talked briefly about like different types. And I think it would be interesting just for listeners who haven't tried meditation to break down. This was something I struggled with in the beginning to break down different types. And I know there are many, but how would you kind of put it in a nutshell? Different types of meditation. And also if you could explain a bit about yours specifically, I think that would be interesting too. Sure, very much so. Um... So one way to kind of encapsulate it is you get lots of traditions that are monastic and then you've got the other traditions which are more geared towards what they called in ancient India householders, which is obviously like you and I and all of your listeners. Mm -hmm. And because India got invaded for a few thousand years, the householder techniques got largely wiped out of the towns and cities. So what we ended up being left with was this legacy of kind of all the monastic practices in the, in the hills and mountains and jungles. And so most of what we see in the world today are derivatives of the monastic practices. And so they typically tend to involve more effort because actually your average monk doesn't have to do bugger all all day. They just sit on a mountaintop, <laughs> enjoy themselves, commune with nature, turn up at the ashram for one meal a day, maybe two if they're feeling hungry. <laughs> and, um, and, and so doing a practice which involves concentration, focus, is actually good for a monk's brain, but it's for reasons which I'll explain, not that great for the rest of us. Um, so you could concentrate, you could do breathing techniques. Uh, and there's 84 different breathing techniques that I know of from India. You could do one or a handful of those. Um, there are visualizations that you can do some of which are very powerful, many of which are not that effective. Um, but I have incorporated, since you learned, I've actually woven in some extra visualizations mm -hmm. because they kind of top and tail the meditation really well. So mm -hmm. things like breathing and visualization, uh, for me well, and for the ancient Indians, were actually, they were means to set up a meditation. They weren't really meant to be a meditation in and of themselves, but you can use them as meditations if you like. Mm -hmm. You can do chanting, uh, which is nice from a kind of community point of view because you, you get to do something together. Um, and you know, who doesn't like 
having a good old sing song, even if it's just mm. in the shower, because you don't feel your voice is good enough. But I was having a good old sing in the shower this morning. And, um, but of course, for some people, that's a bit out of the comfort zone. Yeah. And also, it's not something you can do practically. Obviously, as and when we return to commuting, you can't do, you know, you can't do a little chant on the tube unless you're willing to, um, or unless you're very brave. Um, and then you've obviously got various different mindfulness practices as well, practicing kind of letting your thoughts come and go, or your emotions, or your judgments, or your physical sensations. Um, and actually mindfulness, I think one of the reasons why mindfulness is popular is because if you can get, if you can make it happen on a daily basis, it's actually one of the most effective ones. Um, mindfulness and what we are teaching are commonly found to be the most effective, both scientifically and anecdotally. I think where mindfulness is a bit tricky is um, it does, you kind of have to keep reminding yourself um, to be mindful. And that's when it starts to feel a little bit like an effort. And for some people, particularly perfectionists, you know, it's almost like you're flagellating yourself, trying to be more and more mindful and you, mm. you can't seem to do it. And then, of course, um, you've got the sort of old classics of the yogic trying to just clear the mind of all thoughts. Not that mm. many people can do that, but if you can, that will do the job. Uh, staring at a candle, I don't recommend anyone does that. It just, mm. yeah, it's a... It's, I think, ultimately, all of these things, Danielle, fit into spectrums of, is it easy? Is it, does it require a lot of effort? Mm -hmm. Is it super effective, mid-level effective, or low-level effective? And if you were to sort of plot all of the different techniques, breathing, external chanting, general mantras, personalized mantras, which is what we give out, um, visualizations, all these different things, you could actually probably plot them on those graphs. But of course, for any one individual, they might find a given practice more easier than the average person. They might find it more effective. And that's where the playfulness comes in. And that's why it would be good for your listeners to actually go out and try a number of different techniques mm -hmm. to see what really resonates with them. And then, of course, you get the more kind of um, niche ones. I don't know if you remember, there was a real fad of... Uh, orgasmic meditation about five years ago. I don't um, remember that. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit, well, it ended up in uh, collapsing in scandals. So, um, <laughs> doesn't surprise me. No, it doesn't surprise me at all. Um, so there definitely has been this movement of badging things with either the terms mindfulness or meditation, which I'm sure the ancient masters would be turning in their graves if mm. they had graves. Um, <laughs> so yeah there's lots to try the good thing about this whole movement is it has stuck and it, the reason it's stuck is because there is just this growing need in the world for solutions and sustainable solutions and hopefully not chemical based solutions as well mm. um, but of course with that comes this kind of miasma of chances and charlatans and all of that kind of stuff but in and amongst all of that are all of these wonderful movements 
um, especially in places like London, which obviously is a place that you and I have both lived for meaningful periods of our lives. You know, London and all these big cities now are absolutely chocker full of this stuff. And so a Google search is not a bad idea just to see what's happening in your mm -hmm. hood. Obviously, then you've got all these digital offerings as well. And um, I think they've normalized meditation really well. Um, obviously, Headspace and Calm are the two most famous ones. You've got 10% Happier Now. Uh, Sam Harris, Waking Up is another one. I mean, there's, there's lots, One Giant Mind. Mm. There's loads of offerings now, which you could find in your app store as well. Worth playing with those. We've got one as well. If you want to look up Bija Meditation, then feel mm. free. Um, and I guess, ultimately, my passion is to teach people in person because whichever route you decide to go down, the teach, working with the teacher is going to potentially personalize the technique. So obviously you got a mantra which is ideally suited for your nervous system. <laughs> um, that can't happen over an app. You get to have a teacher kind of identify little quirks about your particular nature and give you little tips about how you can um, just slightly course correct this way or course correct that way. There's that accountability you know, if you've learned with someone, you kind of feel like you should at least give it a good go. Mm. There's lots of really valuable things. And of course, you get to join a community. Mm. So, you know, you've got digital, you've got live, you've got kind of monastic, you've got um, householder techniques. And then it's just a case of what do you need in your life? And if you've got a super busy brain, go with a technique which is quite light, quite easy. You could also do ones that incorporate movement. So Tai Chi, mm. Qigong, they're brilliant. You know, they, they're also very meditative and they're quite gentle. And I think I would lean people towards going with things like what we do, you know, the easy flowing effortless styles of meditation or go with an easy flowing effortless um, kind of movement thing as well. Five rhythms dancing is another thing which is really good for the body, it's kind of semi-meditative. So I, I'm really keen to get the message out there that there's actually, there's going to be something for everyone. Mm. And I, I was actually going to ask you about that, like ways people can reach that kind of meditative state without necessarily having to sit still in silence and do meditation if they've got no idea what it is or how to do it. So you've kind of just answered it though with, with movement and would you would you say anything else? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, um, I think it's quite limited because generally speaking, your nervous system can't go into this uber profound state whilst the body is in motion. Um, and often it's harder when your eyes are open as well because mm -hmm. so much stimulation comes through our eyeballs. But Tai Chi, Qigong, um, and maybe Five Rhythms Dancing, I think all do a job, which is very, very valuable. Um, I would still encourage your listeners, if they can, to try actual meditation. Mm. And whether it's try, you know, for example, our app is, most of our app is free. So um, there's a few kind of sexy little functions which you pay a little subscription for. But, you know, you can download these apps. We've got a 21-day challenge. Why not do our 21-day challenge? Yeah. I'm sure I think Oprah and Deepak have got 21 day challenges as well. I would recommend that people 
give the sit down, eyes closed thing a go, but give the one, you know, give the Deepaks, the Oprahs or the Beejas a go because they're kind of quite friendly, quite easy. Mm. And you'll, if nothing else, you'll learn a bit more about what yeah. this thing is. But I would say for people who do meditate or for newbies, there is equal value in doing things that also integrate movement. Uh, I'm a big, I'm a huge fan of Pilates. Mm. Um, and as I say, Tai Chi, Qigong, Five Rhythms Dancing, or anything that moves your body that is about flow. So if you are gonna do dancing, I would do non-choreographed dancing if you mm. can. Ones that move your hips, because actually most people are storing their stress and their trauma in their pelvic area and in their lower back. So if you're moving all of that, then that's actually gonna create space for your body to actually relieve itself of some of that. Mm. Particularly if you do that in tandem with a meditative practice, mm. it's like loosen it up with the movement, process it out of your system with the meditation. Mm. And, um, and if you find, because obviously most of us Westerners are quite um, rigid in our bodies, particularly men, it's quite embarrassing, really, how bad we <laughs> dance in Europe, isn't it? Um, so if the body is not really, you know, if you're not dancing like a Latino, don't worry. That's actually because, A, your body's kind of stuck and programmed into this very, very rigid, I've been sitting in ergonomically poor chairs for the last 30 years type of way. And um, there's also the fact that our our traumas will make us more rigid as well. Mm. So the more you do these things, the more you'll open it up. And that's the point. You know, if you do breathing exercises, pranayama, which is the alternate nostril breathing, at first you feel like you can hardly breathe. But you do it for a few months, you break on, th you know, you, you clear away the cobwebs and then all of a sudden your lung, lung capacity is huge. So I think one of the key things, one of the key takeaways I'd like to give to your audience is whatever you decide to do, become comfortable with a little bit of discomfort. Mm. Because actually, if you've got decades worth of baggage to work through, there may well be some discomfort. Yeah. And our culture actually tells you to avoid discomfort at all costs. Stay in the comfort zone, whatever yeah. you do. It's Suppress. Safe. <laughs> Suppress, exactly. Suppress numb, avoid, distract, create cognitive dissonance. You don't even know that you're not even perceiving the real reality anymore. And as you unwind all of that, there are these moments of discomfort. There are moments of resistance. Um, there are moments of realization, which are kind of, you know, sometimes you realize that you have been more selfish than is probably ideal. And that's cool. This is part of growing. You know, these are the growing pains of opening yourself up to this gorgeous existence of flow and brightness and sparkliness and, and just and vibrancy. I think it's about feeling everything in a way. And that is how you enjoy life more because you, I don't know, elaborate. <laughs> it's so refreshing when I speak to people like you, Danielle, who really get it and the feeling aspect is huge. We have, from a very young age, learned to not feel because 
maybe mummy or daddy didn't approve of it and or they told us that we needed to get on with this or that or the other and no pain no gain strive to achieve you know you've got to do to make shit happen and so we've become more and more ungrounded as society and when we become ungrounded we lose emotional and physical sensation we are adrenalizing ourselves to get all of our shit done when we adrenalize we bounce out of our body even more we numb ourselves even more we suppress our tears because obviously when we were babies mummy and daddy were so tired from being up all night and they would either tell us to not cry or we got the message obviously once we're toddlers then we're told to stop crying so we suppress our tears we go to school and if we cry at school we get teased mm. um if we're a boy then maybe we get told that we need to be strong and that crying is a, a sign of weakness and if you're a girl then my sense is that it's kind of you're discouraged from crying because 50 percent of the world don't really have the emotional intelligence to understand what's actually going on for you emotionally and it's very awkward so please can you mm. take your tears elsewhere please mm -hmm. and then of course we get into the world of work and it's not professional to cry there and it's like when do we ever get an opportunity to cry really when do we ever got an opportunity to feel like a busy mother is just chasing after her children and getting them to school getting the food ready there's all of those after school things that they've got to do and then maybe they come home and quite often it's still the case that they'll do the cooking and it's like when does a mother ever get the opportunity to actually feel mm -hmm. anymore and i think for men it's more a case of there's still this overarching culture of just like tough it out and be strong and, and almost ignore the pain, the emotional pain, the physical pain. And so we are collectively just a very, very ungrounded, very, very numb, very disassociated group of people. And we will never ever be able to feel happy, fulfilled, whole, while we're in that state and adrenalized of course mm. and so it's a process of coming back into the body refamiliarizing ourselves with our emotions becoming more emotionally articulate more emotionally literate being more empathetic but also being more compassionate as well because if you're overly empathic then you feel everybody else's stuff mm. which is another revelation in my journey is just how much I always felt everybody else's mm -hmm. stuff. And so that was another reason for me to close myself to mm -hmm. the world. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, we close ourselves to the world because there's hostility, there's negativity, there's judgment. And in our world of digital interactions, obviously there are all of these echo chambers of judgment and, and hostility. So we close up at every level. We no longer feel ourselves. That means we can survive. But it means we can't thrive because you can never th thrive when your figurative disposition is like this. You have to mm. be open to thrive. Yeah. Yeah. And so actually consciously investing in feeling everything that you feel physically, mentally, emotionally, and really digging deeper. What's below that level of feeling? Oh, there's that level of feeling. That's a deeper level of truth. And then below that is this level of feeling, which is an even deeper level of truth. 
And it's just reminding me, I would recommend all of your listeners engage in journaling. I know you're a big mm. fan of that. Yeah. It's brilliant because it gives you a place, a very safe place to express all that you really feel. And as you keep practicing that, you, you get more familiar with your deeper truths mm. and you start hopefully you start being much more honest with yourself about what's really going on yeah I think it's there where you're being able to be honest with yourself and allowing yourself to leave your comfort zone or have some discomfort is where like you were saying it's where things start to just feel amazing even though you think they're going to feel horrible because you're not feeling comfortable after the discomfort is it's like another world isn't it it's totally another world it's a revelation and it's it's hard for people to understand that because we have been conditioned into sort of boxing ourselves off in these little internal prisons you know the mental prisons and the emotional prisons and it's almost like we're in a prison where we can't even see what um we can't even see the kind of nature, what nature looks like. In yeah. fact, Plato had his allegory of the cave, whereby all of these people were in a cave and they were seeing all the shadows on the wall from the fire. And they thought that was reality. And then one day, one of the people managed to leave the cave and they saw nature and were so blown away by it that they went back into the cave and tried to tell the other cave people about this amazing world that awaits them on the other side of the light. And nobody wanted to go because they wanted to stay in their safe zone. Mm. And that's what this is like. And one of the one of the tricky things is when that little amygdala of yours is racing and sounding the internal alarm and causing you to feel so much fear about all of these things in life, the idea of facing your fears is scary as anything. But in actual fact, as Roosevelt once said, the only thing to fear is fear itself. Mm. It's the fear that's the problem. It's not, the new reality actually isn't that big a deal. It's the fear of that discomfort zone, mm. which is holding you back. Yeah. And so digging deep, finding courage, to actually break on through to the other side is another part of it. And that's why all of the ancients gave us all of these wonderful traditions of mythology. You know, it would always revolve around this hero who would have to go on this journey on their own and find people to help them on their way and take on the Minotaur or take on this particular demon or this problem. Obviously, Frodo had to go to Mordor and, you know, put the ring in the fire. They're trying to tell us something. They're trying to tell us that like we all we all have a journey that awaits us and we that journey will be frightening the first step is often the hardest to take we will have to leave, leave midshire our comfort zone mm -hmm. and we'll have to go into these new territories internal territories to realize what's possible and to, I guess, realize our destiny. Mm. And if we can, if we can at least make a start on that journey and, you know, just start exploring some of this stuff, mm. you do realize that it's, it's not that bad. And 
then that person continues to take their hero's journey rather than retreating back into the safe zone. Mm. Um, and as you say, the prize is so big, so wonderful, so essential to the human experience that to not even try is to do a disservice to life, to love, to the universe, to mm. yourself, to your yeah. soul. Yeah, it's like we've just kind of been conditioned to want to have everything figured out. And I guess in the society where we kind of have everything we could ever need, we're almost left feeling like, why don't we have everything? Why aren't we happy? But I think it's that definitely that kind of vulnerability and ability to embrace the unknown because I wouldn't actually, I mean, I freak out about the future all the time, but I, then I think about it and I wouldn't want to know exactly what is going to happen. And I think it's, it's exactly that embracing the unknown and and being able to be vulnerable in a way that you're ready to kind of experience things exactly and, and again i think we're both big fans of brene brown's work mm. um, you know for your listeners who haven't yet read the gifts of imperfection it's mm. a bloody good place to start being vulnerable is is crucial to this journey because in order to in order to advance, you need to let go. And letting go of some, you know, letting go of some of your more regressive tendencies, thought patterns, self-destructive patterns, is a little bit scary at times. It's very vulnerable. And if you are uncomfortable with your vulnerability to the point of rejecting it, then you, you can't move forward. Whereas if you can embrace that vulnerability and feel everything you're feeling, even though it doesn't always feel that great, that's the alchemy. And all of a sudden, those fears, those unpleasant sensations, the nausea, the anxiety, the, the, the heaviness dissipate. Mm -hmm. And the moment those things dissipate, all of this kind of light and energy comes flooding through and now you've just graduated another level. Mm. And of course, once you've done that a few times, you start to feel quite confident in yourself. Mm. And you, you know, it's like, oh yeah, I'm feeling vulnerable again. Great, bring it on. I'm going to feel it even more. Yeah. And anytime you need any help, you know, you re-listen to Danielle's podcast <laughs> or you reach out to your teacher or you reread Brene Brown or you watch Lord of the Rings and then you're kind of back in the game and you keep mm. moving forward and you evolve. Mm. And... Of course, every time, I always see it like human popcorn. Every time one person pops, other people around them pop as well. Mm, yeah. So not only do we get to benefit from feeling human and alive, you know, really alive and feeling wonder and awe for life again, but of course, we have better romantic relationships. We have better relationships with friends and family. We, we nurture our children in more powerful ways we are more powerfully equipped to do all the things that work that we need to do and so other people around us get to benefit and going back to your point about why don't we already feel this because we're so advanced it's because the western philosophical base has completely dismissed any and all spiritual considerations from our worldview 
And so everything has become about the material, how to maximize the material world. But the simple reality is humans do have a deeper spiritual nature. And if we don't honor that, we're going to feel empty or only partially complete. And so we can go on these journeys and it doesn't mean that you have to become a hippie or start waving crystals in people's faces. It just means that you are giving equal priority to joy, to wisdom, to creativity, to a sense of intuitive flow, to a sense of connection, to a sense of meaning, purpose, belonging, all of these things, which actually everybody wants that stuff. If I hadn't have labeled those things as being spiritual, if you said to any person on the planet, pretty much, do you want more joy in your life? Yes. Do you want to feel more deep down fulfilled? Yes. More connection to self and others? Yes. Do you want to feel more meaning, purpose, wisdom? Do you want to make better decisions? Do you want to feel more flow in your life? Cha-ching, 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 cha-ching. <laughs> Everybody wants that shit. But as soon as you say spiritual development, people, oh, I don't want any yeah. of that. Because, you know, we had a couple of millennia of religious doctrine, which kind of... Mm, gave spirituality a bad name and then really religion and spirituality have become kind of opposites so however you label it those ingredients are absolutely essential for a happy healthy human life and but our culture doesn't value any of that and so we have to make individual empowered choices on our own to say even though my culture is telling me that I just need to focus on these things, I'm going to make this empowered choice to say, I need to focus at least as much on that. And if anything, if I prioritize this, that's actually going to get better. Mm. If I prioritize that, that's going to just disappear and I'm going to be unhappy and probably unhealthy. Mm. So you get, you kind of get the best of both with this anyway. And particularly if you don't, lose yourself up your own spiritual arse and kind of get all monastic about, you know, if you actually end up becoming a monk, then, you know, this will fade away. And I, I think at the moment, what we've got in the world is most of the world focusing on this and then a lot of spiritual people actually just focusing on that. And I, it's so crystal clear to me and to the greatest sages of ancient India that what you need is to honor both aspects of life. Yeah. And when you do that, that's when you feel whole. Yeah. It's that simple. Yeah, and it's it's accessible and realistic to be able to apply the spiritual to your current life and your modern life especially. And it comes back to being able to build foundations and be vulnerable and know that there's always going to be this ebb and flow of life and that you're never going to have a quick fix. You're never always going to feel amazing, but it's all about getting to know yourself and making empowered choices like you've just said. Yeah, and so it's funny actually, what you've just described has triggered two things in me. Number one, in ancient Greece, which is the bedrock of Western culture, there was this temple in a place called Delphi and it was the most revered temple in all of ancient Greece. And all of the, you know, all of the people, all of the biggest philosophers, all of the elite and lay people as well would go there uh, and they would go and see the oracle of Delphi but inscribed above the door at Delphi was know thyself that was the number one instruction that the ancient Greeks had 
for, for us. And then, um, so giving that due reverence in your life is clearly important, whether you're ancient or modern. But also, there's something which Tony Robbins has actually said, which, you know, there's things about him I really like, there's other things I'm not so keen on, but one of the best things I think he's ever said was, your biggest problem is that you think you shouldn't have any problems. Mm. Yeah, love and reframing your problems as opportunities to learn and grow, I think is one of the biggest one of the biggest things you can do in your life journey, particularly if you're using these techniques to, to help you realize that at a deep emotional and spiritual level. Because then rather than feeling like the world is against you, it's like, ah, okay, life has dealt me this other situation. Clearly I need to learn something. And you can come at it in a more positive, more proactive, more embracing way. And as a result of that, you learn the lesson first time or maybe second time around, rather than having to cycle around, you know, resisting it. Yeah, resisting it. And then you keep meeting those same situations time after time after time, wondering why life is so unfair, Mm. feeling more and more of a victim, wanting to outsource, outsource responsibility more and more and more because you just feel like it's not fair. And actually, really, it's just that core belief that you have that those problems shouldn't be there. Um, yeah, it's, it's a big topic. Mm, definitely. Okay, well, thank you so much. It's been so interesting talking to you. I'm just going to end with five short, simple questions, which I end every episode on. So what are three things that help you to kind of enjoy and trust the process when maybe things are uncertain or Ah, good question um number one just get the basics of of life right so go to bed early do not look at your phone um until after you've had your breakfast it's a really good discipline Mm. um and do enough movement or exercise do something else whether it's therapeutics or meditation like make sure that you dig through the resistance if you get and eat good fresh nutritious food as well if you get those basics right it just keeps you on the right side of the fence as it were Mm. the next thing is to learn to actually feel into your body so whenever you're feeling uncomfortable what happens is Either you'll kind of feel yourself closing up or twisting up, or you or you start to kind of actually bounce out of your body. And so use your mind to consciously redirect your attention, your awareness, back into your body, all the way down through your legs to your toes, all the way through your arms to your feet, all the way through your body, and own the physical sensations and own the emotional sensations and own the fact that you're feeling, um, you know, maybe your thoughts have become quite negative and you're feeling quite narky, you know, about someone. Rather than reject that, just embrace it as your reality. Mm. And the feeling into your body is so key because when you do that, you, it's, it's like it helps you, it helps you be more Teflon to, uh, it helps all of this stuff kind of, dissipate away from you rather than continuing to cling to you Mm. so that's my number two um 
honestly, the meditation. Yeah. It, it's whenever I'm feeling a little bit uh, out of sorts, out of kilter, or somehow triggered, you know, I actually had a situation about a month ago where someone who was very stressed behaved very poorly and aggressively. And of course, stressed people do that because fight or flight makes you aggressive mm. or it makes you hostile. Mm. Um, and so I just thought, you know what? I'm not going to spend the next four hours of my day feeling worked up about this situation. Yeah. I'm just going to take myself off and meditate. And I did. And my meditation was quite worked up because I was literally processing mm. all of the emotional charge that I felt about, you know, this situation of having been kind of aggressively attacked and blah, blah, blah. And then 20 minutes later, woof, <laughs> gone, literally just vaporized. And then to close out the process, I just sent this person um, an email and I just said, look, it's time to let go of this. It really wasn't a big deal. And yeah. I'm choosing to let go. You can respond however you like, but I'm not going to continue to um, give energy to this. Don't, yeah. I'm going to have to beg for a fourth one, which is yeah. <laughs> the world is full of very stressed people. And when people are stressed, and particularly when they're carrying trauma, and they can be little traumas, not doesn't have to be big yeah. ones, they will try and draw you into the emotional realm. Mm -hmm. And anytime you try and be rational with them, they will just find a different way. They will try and find your Achilles heel to bring you down to their level. Start becoming practiced at the art of not getting involved. And you know mm -hmm. what? Social media in the age of COVID is a perfect opportunity because everybody's trying to drag everybody into these arguments about who's mm -hmm. right and who's not. And just find ways to transcend getting involved in those wars of attrition, the emotion, mm -hmm. these emotional wars of attrition, because you will never persuade them. All that will happen is you will both feel diminished by the engagement. And then anytime someone manages to somehow persuade you, drag you into that situation, use that as a learning. Those are my tips. Mm, I love them all. I also think it's good to, to the third one where you're talking about how you kind of managed to just let it go. A lot of people can think that, oh, when you're meditating, it's really selfish because you detach from things. But I think it's really interesting the way you explained it and you went back to the situation with a fresh mind and kind of put closure on it and you didn't just ignore it and push it out of your mind. And I think it's really important to emphasize that that's not what people are doing when they're doing their inner work and trying not to let things affect them. It's nothing that's selfish if you manage it in a way that's considerate as well and compassionate. Completely. And I was gonna say on, on your fourth one um, about other people being stressed also, it's nothing personal to you. And I think that's another thing that's so, interesting and changed the way I kind of move through life is that you don't have to take everything so personally and it doesn't necessarily reflect something that's wrong with you that's triggered someone else it's usually something they're going through and that's potentially why you're not always going to be able to reason with them and staying on your level like you've explained is is so important in that respect and not feeling guilty for it exactly that's so huge because I, I think a lot of the, our wounded inner child is so sensitive to people 
um, blaming us because obviously you know we we all got blamed by our parents for this and that and the other and like we took it to heart you know we were just little and we just you know we were so impressionable and we're so sensitive to being blamed or feeling attacked or any of that or obviously yeah. guilt and feeling shamed mm-hmm. you should be ashamed of yourself mm-hmm. and of course that resonates that echoes through the decades of our lives and so um, but actually it's not us it's just them having their own shit and they're venting it on us because they don't actually know how to manage their stress or their emotions Mm. and that's one of the big things that meditation helps you with is once you step out of your own stress you start to realize oh so it was my stress that was actually making me engage in all of these shitty behaviors Mm. and therefore when i see somebody else engaging in shitty behavior i now have a deep emotional understanding that it's not actually about me mm. and as you say reminding yourself of that now again is bloody important mm. um and on the point of engagement or detachment yeah for a monk detachment is ideal but if you're listening or watching this you're not a monk i'm guessing <laughs> and so if anyone ever tries to tell you that detachment is the holy grail run a mile that's not what you're here to do on this earth Mm. meditation and all of these other practices if if they're for householders they will help you be more engaged with life because you won't be in fight mode you won't be in flight mode trying to avoid all your problems either you will have more energy more bandwidth more humanity to meet all of these challenges in life in a much more powerful high-end way that is more creative, more productive, more cooperative, more collaborative, more unified. And that's what this is about, helping you feel and experience more, helping you be a more capable human being who can actually go out there and have a much more positive influence on the world, on mm. the universe. So it's not selfish. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's simply honoring the self and engaging in some self-love and self-nurture while simultaneously honoring and nurturing life and all of the people that you care about Mm, mm, exactly okay number two uh your biggest life lesson or pivotal moment that was perhaps transformational in some way i'm sure you've had loads (laughs) in my whole life (laughs) wow um like a blessing in disguise or something that because I think the topic on failure and being vulnerable it's so inspiring to hear things like that yeah okay um I've had plenty of these too <laughs> let me see if I can pull one from the archives um well, I'll, I'll make a general point which is any situation which is almost the complete opposite of your expectations and hopes it even if you're attempting to do something and you know i'm trying to actually change the world with meditation i've got all these big things going on but every now and again the universe just says no we're going that way not that way bucko so you might as well get with the program and i've learned to flow with that and part of my name because i have a very warrior nature when these things first started happening i was like no i've got to kind of really push harder and I've learned actually just go with the universe. The universe always knows better. And actually, mm-hmm. 
we had a couple of things, we had several things lined up, including opening up studios in Los Angeles, New York, Toronto, mm -hmm. and a couple of places in Europe, just before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And something happened, which meant that we couldn't do that. And, you know, my first reaction was, mm -hmm. you know, I've just spent 18 months and a shitload of money preparing for that. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the pandemic happened. I was like, ah, now I can see why that happened. <laughs> Thank you very much, University. You saved me from a fate worse yeah. than death, actually. <laughs> so um, bring it on. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think it's inevitable that we will have hopes. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's, and actually, desire, if, if the desire is coming from a deep, soul level desire is a good thing and so having those kind of heart and soul desires is cool having some hopes cool having some expectations cool as long as you're willing to be adaptive mm -hmm. and so if the universe suddenly goes we're we're going down this road it's you might as well get with the program because you mm -hmm. can try and fight the universe your whole life if you like but the universe will always be yeah, and it's not going to feel good. <laughs> That's where we end up feeling stressed and in a constant struggle. Exactly. So much friction. So, yes, when it comes to your own journey, you have to push through. You know, there will be these moments of discomfort. But when the sort of wider, when the wider flow of life just starts pushing that way, that's when it's good to flow with the swim with the tide because mm. yeah swimming Dirty. against the tide is exhausting and you get nowhere you literally you move it's just so stagnant mm. so and yeah as you say you'll feel rubbish it will, your life will feel full of friction and you'll be wondering why life isn't going the way you want it to go well yes yeah. because your ego wants it yeah. to go that way but the cosmos wants it to go that way yeah again it, the more you can favor the cosmos over your ego generally the better things will be totally yeah okay third question recent discoveries in wellness or for lifestyle or anything really that you've recently discovered uh, um yeah i guess one of the things that was undervalued I think from the ancient Vedic tradition of India and I see this undervalued in all of the ancient traditions actually is the importance of grounding exercises and the importance of energy management and um, I understand that obviously if you're in the Himalayas 5,000 years ago you don't really need to practice grounding exercises because you're standing on one of the world's biggest mountains so you are proper grounded mm. but of course life has sped up most of us aren't living in the mountains and so and we've got all these digital interactions which unground us as well so find grounding techniques to do on a daily basis probably several times a day and energy management things like boundaries having kind of psychological boundaries um having practical boundaries with people um imagining showers of white light coming down particularly at the end of a meditation and kind of washing away your stress your tension uh, helping you to let go of the things that no longer serve you that's a great visualization to do mm -hmm. and imagining yourself in a little protective bubble of white light 
a complete sphere. So you're inside this sphere. Those little energy management techniques, super simple, super easy, everybody can do it, makes a genuine difference to your life. So that for me is the one in the last few years, those are the ones that have had the deepest resonance for me. Mm, that's interesting. Okay. Current favorite meal or like something really nourishing that you love? Okay. Um, so during lockdown, I've obviously been cooking for myself even more than I used to. Mm. And so I've discovered a, a kind of formula for making some kind of curry-ish type dish. And it's literally, you could apply, and it's basically just, you know, you choose certain spices, you choose whatever vegetables you like. You have a magic secret sweet ingredient like apricots, dates or figs or something like that. And you just play with this little formula and it means you can make a hundred different types of curry that all taste different and all taste enjoyable. So that's been quite cool. Mm. And then um, being in South America, I went to a restaurant on Saturday night, met quite a nice girl. So I went on a date and had to speak Spanish all night, which was quite interesting. <laughs> um, but, and I'm normally vegetarian. Um, but she had ceviche, which is a, a kind of fish dish. And um, I thought, oh, I'll try that bit. Wow. <laughs> like spectacularly good. So I will be going back at some point in the next week or so to sample more of their ceviche. I might even order two bowls of it. <laughs> and so good. So, so good. And this is, I, I spent five weeks in Peru a long time ago and I had ceviche all the time. I think. Mm, they do it so well in South America. They do it so well. And so I guess what this speaks of is the fact that actually they're clearly using super fresh lion pork yeah, fish exactly. that are really healthy. None of this farm nonsense. Mm -hmm. And yes, I am a vegetarian, but actually I'm not militant about it. And my body clearly enjoyed this thing a lot. Mm -hmm. And my body is like, my body's intelligence is more important to me than my intellectual justification for thinking that I'm, you know, a good little vegetarian. Yeah. So I'm just going to keep following my body back to that restaurant and having ceviche mm -hmm. once every fortnight, I imagine, until my body says, do you know what? I'm done now. Yeah. We've had whatever spectrum of vitamins, minerals, and nutrients that were in those fish. Um, you don't need that anymore. And then I'll move on to the next thing. So it's both, it gave me so much joy, but I think there's also quite a nice um, example of the importance of being adaptive. Yeah, totally. And I'm exactly the same, very flexible, but, and not being hard on yourself if you don't stick to like what you're trying to stick to. And especially when you're traveling, which is one of the reasons I could never kind of be always completely vegan or raw or sugar-free you know because you miss out on all the flavors and when it's made so fresh and so locally and so simply usually it's it's a shame to miss out on it and I think it is so good for your body as well to have that relaxation and enjoyment exactly I think this is another key insight um, from the ancients which I have embraced and which I want to try and get out there yeah, there are lots of toxic influences in life. The nature of modern life means that we need to, like, we are wise to 
reduce the amount of toxic influences in our life, in our food, in everything really. But of equal importance is joy. And so all of these people who treat their food very, very uh, militantly, you know, it must be pure and it must be this and it must be that. They've robbed themselves of any joy. And actually your body secretes lots of very important neurochemicals when you're experiencing joy. Mm. So it's how can I how can I honor the joy as well as the physical reality of not wanting to put too many toxic substances into my body? And the beauty of all of this again is the more you find yourself in balance, the more your body actually just gravitates towards the healthy things. It doesn't yeah. even want the sugar anymore. Yeah. Or, you know, those other things that your bad bacteria keep telling you to have because actually your microbiome is in really good shape now. Um, but as you say, then if you find yourself in a, in a situation where you're traveling and you're presented with something which is not usually part of your repertoire, whether that's for philosophical reasons or dietary, you know, um, health reasons, your body by that point will be so resilient that being occasionally naughty is cool, it's fun. In fact, it's actually probably kind of healthy in a way to expose your body to things it's not normally exposed to. And of course, then you get to have a more socially gracious experience yeah. as well. You don't offend your host. Yeah. You get to have that lovely tribal experience of being a part of something. And you get to feel like a free human being. And ultimately, all of this spiritual knowledge is it's there to help liberate you. Mm. And so if you find yourself just living according to all these rules all the time, then yeah. you're just in a different prison. Yeah, it's constant stress. And like you said, the way that there's uh, joy is kind of made in the gut in a way with the hormones there. It's it's also how stress is sort of released as well. It's, um, when your microbiome and your gut is is dealing with stress in a way, and you have that stress around food, it's it's harder to digest things, isn't it, in a way? Totally. Well, part of the fight or flight response is total inhibition of your um, digestive function. Mm -hmm. And so stress will literally, you know, your you won't salivate as much, which means that the all of that amylase in this in this in the saliva won't be breaking down the food. You'll probably be chewing, you won't be chewing enough and you'll be eating too quickly because you're overstimulated. And then the food gets into your stomach and you're not releasing all of those digestive juices. You're probably not breaking down the food physically in the stomach properly. The motility of the intestinal tract is not working correctly. Um, all of those bad bacteria will be coming out to play. Uh, it's just, it's, it's a nightmare actually to be stressed while eating. So actually one of the things that's important to do, especially in the age of COVID and lockdown is to try and avoid eating when you're stressed, yeah, when you're feeling too. emotional, and to not take your food so seriously that you end up inhibiting your digestive system because you're so worried about what you're putting in your body. Yeah, it's like, it's exactly that. get yourself in balance, follow the 80-20 rule, you know, 80% of the time be quite good to yourself, and the other 20% be completely nor or be it be as naughty as you feel to be yeah in a completely guiltless way mm. enjoy being naughty and then go back to your 80 again and that way it keeps it healthy 
keeps you secreting all those lovely, important, happy hormones. And you then will break down the food correctly. You will then absorb all of the micronutrients correctly. And you will then transport all those nutrients to the four corners of your body correctly. And because you're not stressed, then your cells will feel safe to actually start releasing the toxins that are in the cells. And then those will pass out of your body. And so there's a, a very happy cycle of, yeah. of, of good health follows. Yeah, I love that. It's so important. It's not just what you eat, it's totally how you eat and that mental element. Okay, last question. Three Sorry. questions we should be asking ourselves on a regular basis. Ooh. My favorite one. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. Well, bravo for some bloody good <laughs> questions. Um, definitely, what is my raw emotional truth right now? Particularly when you're in a, a given situation. Um, you know, when, and if you find yourself ever verbally or um, in writing trying to justify something to yourself or to others, ask yourself, what is your raw emotional truth? Mm -hmm. um, number two, have I got the strategy of my life well specified? Slash, when I'm on my deathbed, am I going to look back at these years and these decades and say that was the most important thing for me to be focusing on? Mm. Number three, ooh, pressure. Um, am I, does this feeling flow with the universe? Mm, that's a good one. I think if you ask if you ask yourself those three questions on a regular basis without obsessing about it, and you're willing to be truthful with yourself, you should be doing pretty well. Mm, it's just a little self inquiry, isn't it, and just checking in, which we don't prioritize really. Well, we're so conditioned into following the blueprint, mm. and we're so busy that we always don't give ourselves time to have perspective, and also fight or flight. Um, I think it's called the parietal temporal lobe of the brain. We don't need high-level perspective in survival situations. So, of course, chronic fight or flight means that we're just we're not bringing perspective to our lives. Mm. And so, consciously reintroducing that, and then of course, if you're doing these practices which actually help get you out of fight or flight, so that that temporal parietal lobe actually grows bigger, mm. then you can make those decisions which you'll feel really happy about five years from now, 10 years from now, 40 years from now. Because what a tragedy to get to the end of your life and think you blew it. In fact, one of my great, uh, one of the anecdotes I lean on from time to time was the head of the Walmart family. Uh, I think his name was Sam Walton. And I believe he was the richest man in the world at the time. And of course, our society values money so much mm. that you think, wow, lucky man. Yeah. But he was on his deathbed and surrounding his deathbed were seven lawyers trying to take care of all of the legalities um, with his passing and the management of his business and his fortune. Mm. And there weren't many family there. Mm. And his last words were, oh, fuck, I blew it. Really? Oh my God, can you imagine? Wow. Who, wants, who wants those to be their last words? No, no, no. So, uh, you know, he obviously got 
conned into following the material trip mm. by our Western conditioning. And to be fair to him, he got to the top, mm. but he yeah. still thought he'd blown it. And yeah, I so, mean, generally you wouldn't say he'd blown it, but I guess in, in that moment, really weighing up what matters and what's important must have something must have flipped in his mind oh well thank you so much it's been so good to catch up and it's been such a good chat oh, pleasure it's lovely to see you again daniel and um i wish you and all of your audience uh a year of great transformation and joy and um i just want to give you a bit of a shout out really because i feel like you are embodying what you're trying to communicate with your audience i've seen you obviously on instagram over the years and exploring all these different pathways and and from what i can tell learning to be vulnerable and embracing the unknown and just putting one foot in the other in front of the other sometimes and being quite open with people about what your truth really is and i just want to say thank you to you because that's inspiring and I just hope that more and more of the world can be like that and I hope that your audience are able to take inspiration from you and to 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 follow that wonderful lead that you set. Mm, thank you it means a lot it's a difficult I mean it's an ongoing journey like everything isn't it but yeah that means so much thank you. Total pleasure. So I really hope you enjoyed this episode with Will. It was such a nourishing chat for me. It just was full of reminders and really made me think about my daily practices, which I've completely let drop in the past year, I must admit. I hope that you took something away from this episode. Perhaps it was an introduction to meditation that has given you a little bit more understanding on that or just a little bit of support and comfort in some of the topics we covered like anxiety and how to manage it and just accept it rather than feeling overwhelmed about it and trying to stop it. So I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please do share it with friends or family you think might enjoy it too. Please also leave a review or a rating as it really helps the visibility of our podcast and for other like-minded people to discover it. I'll be back again next week with another guest episode. So until then, have a good one. Bye.